0: Okay, who's ready to go to work? All right, James chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 13, and we'll read through uh, the end of the chapter. James says, "'Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above.' One of the things that when I uh, spend time with the Lord in the mornings, one of the things that I, I ask Him for, that I pray about almost on a daily basis, is wisdom. It, it is at the top of my list of things that I want the Lord to bless me with. The thing I approach Him for is at the top of my list. Now, I take as my example for that King Solomon You know, he was famous for his God-given wisdom. The Lord basically said, hey, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon said, Lord, give me wisdom to govern these people that you've given me. You've made me king. Now give me wisdom to be a wise, a good ruler. So basically what Solomon asked for was the wisdom to do what the Lord had placed before him to do. You've given me a task. Now, Lord, I want you to give me the wisdom to do what you told me to do. I want that. I want that. I want the wisdom to do what the Lord has set before me to do. I want wisdom to serve Him well. I want wisdom to know what is right from what is wrong. Wisdom in my business. Wisdom with my relationships. Well, James tells us how to get wisdom. Does he not? He said, ask the Lord for it. Way back in chapter 1, verse 5, James says, if you Lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you don't have wisdom, if you if you want it, ask the Lord for it. He gives it generously. He won't embarrass you about it. He's just freely there, just just handing out wisdom. Here, you want some wisdom? It's like Oprah with wisdom. Wisdom for you and wisdom, you just gotta ask for it. And he gives it generously. And He will give it. That's what James says. We talked about this a few weeks ago. God is the source of true wisdom. And we must go to Him to find wisdom, asking and receiving in faith. Trusting and not doubting that He answers the prayer for wisdom. You cannot go to God and ask Him for salvation And doubt that he will give it. Because salvation is by faith. Through grace. So if you have no faith, if you doubt, then your prayer for wisdom is... You you cannot ask the source of salvation for salvation, doubting that he will give it. You cannot ask the source of wisdom for wisdom, doubting that he will give it. James says, if you ask God for wisdom, it will be given. Now that's a pretty conclusive statement. There's not a lot of ambiguity there. You ask, you will get it. He will give it. Look at at what verse six says, though, in chapter one. He says that that conclusive statement, if you ask, it will be given. He follows it up with the big word but. (laughs) So there's a catch. There's a catch. Now, Now, why would James say it this way? Why we, You know, he says very definitively, ask and it will be given, and then he follows it up with, but you got to meet these certain conditions. You, you must not doubt. Well, I, I think he has a twofold purpose in mind here. I think he means to assure us and also to challenge us and warn us. So, he means to assure us in the asking. Ask God for wisdom, trusting, not doubting, that God will give it. You ask. He wants to assure you in the asking. You have every right to go to him to ask for wisdom because he gives wisdom. Don't doubt that. He will give you wisdom. And on the other side of that coin, he means to challenge us or, or warn us that when we ask for wisdom that God will give, you must trust the wisdom that he gives. Now, I'm, I'm drawing that conclusion. So basically, he said, ask God for wisdom, trusting that he will give it, and then trust the wisdom that God gives you. Now, that, that for me, when I, I come to that through two different experiences, one experience is a, a very human, very practical experience, a lived experience, and the other experience is what I experience in the Word in James chapter 3, when he talks about, we have a further discourse on wisdom. So just very quickly, the human experience first. This is, this is surely you all know people, I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this, You know people who they'll come to you, and they're worried about a situation that they're in. They don't know the way out, or they don't know what the right thing to do is. They have a difficult situation, and so they come to you trusting you, asking you for advice. So what what do they want from you? They want your wisdom, right? They want your wise counsel. So they come to you asking you for advice, and because you are a Christian, and because you love your neighbor, you love your brother, the, you see their situation, you hear their predicament, and you are concerned with them, not just for them, but with them. So now you you work with them, and you get all the details of the situation. Okay, well, tell me what's going on. How is this affecting you? What What are the details? What's happening? Let's, let's work this out in wisdom. And so what do you do? You, you put your mind to it, and then you try to give them the best, most wise counsel that you can come up with, And so you do that only to find out that they just ignore it and go do what they were going to do in the first place anyway, whatever made them happy. There was no, I mean, so twofold, there was trust in the asking, right? So the guy comes to you and he says, hey, I know my friend over here, He's, he's going to give me Some good counsel. If I ask him for advice, he'll give me advice. I'm going to go ask him. So there's trust in the asking, but there wasn't trust in the receiving. So given that background or that as a scenario, what happens in your heart the next time this person comes to you and he's got a difficult situation and he begs you for your wisdom? So how do you see this guy now? You see him like James describes this person. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So are you going to be naturally inclined to spend time and energy trying to help him through his problem? Probably not. And why not? Because he didn't listen to you the last time. You, You spent mental cycles... I'm a computer guy, I think, in terms of cycles, processor cycles. You've only got so many cycles to burn. hundred percent, you can't do that all the time. You need some downtime. So you spent some mental cycles on this, and it was for nothing. Why am I going to spend more mental cycles on it? To quote James, this person must not suppose he will receive anything from you. He didn't trust what you gave him the last time. Now, to be clear, God is infinitely more patient with us. He's infinitely more forgiving with us than than we are, than any of us are. And again, James is unequivocal in his assertion that if you ask God for wisdom, he will give it. Follow me here. The warnings that James has given us are all about the instability of the person who is asking and receiving Wisdom. Amen. Amen. There is no mention about God wavering in his provision. Do you see it in verse 7? Verse we move down just a little bit. James says, For that person, the one who asked for wisdom, that's what he's talking about, the one who God provided wisdom, but he doubted the wisdom of God, he either doubted in the asking or he doubted in the receiving, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from God. So the, the barrier is in the receiving, not the providing, not the giving. Amen. The consequence, or should I say maybe the judgment, is in the receiving. Do you, do you all know one of those people? I think, I think my wife may have mentioned uh, one of them this morning. They, No matter what you do for them, they will just not receive anything good I know you you gotta know somebody like that. Everyone knows somebody like that. You can compliment them, and then your compliment is met with negativity. I heard a, a pastor talk one time about how um, he destroyed a woman's joy, not meaning to, but trying to trying to be humble. But he met her compliment with negativity. She came in the door, and she said, Pastor, I'm really looking forward to the sermon today. And he said, well, at least someone is. I mean, he was self-deprecating, you know, we all do that. We're self-deprecating, and it, we, as a form of humility, I'm guilty of it. But it occurred to him that he took that woman's joy and trampled on it. Some people just won't receive anything good from you. you compliment them and they're met with negativity. You give them a gift and there's something wrong with the gift. Right? Well, it's not, it's not that color. Or, you know, it's okay, whatever. But they, no matter what you do, no matter what you provide, no matter what goodness you try to throw into their lives, they just have decided that they want to be miserable. They won't receive anything good. The problem isn't the giving The problem is on the receiving end. Do you see that? Okay. I think that is what James is getting at in verse 7. If you don't receive wisdom that God freely gives, how can you expect to receive anything from Him? The barrier is on the receiving end, not the givers. I think, at least in part, that is why James gives us the discourse that he gives us about wisdom in Chapter 3. So James seems to be telling us how to know that the wisdom we have is in fact from above, from the Lord, and therefore should in fact be trusted. He does that by acknowledging a common problem that we have. It's a, a lingering question in all of our minds, particularly when we face difficult situations. How do I know what is the right thing to do? How do I know that this wisdom is actually wise? Because not all wisdom is wise. Back in James 3, it's clear from our text this morning that James agrees with what I just said. Not all wisdom is wise. In verse 13, he starts starts out by asking a question of the church. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, now he's asking the members of the church. Remember, James is writing a letter to churches. He's asking the members of the church to look around and to consider who they regard as wise and understanding. Who, Who do you put up on a pedestal? Who do you think is worth listening to? Look around you and look at those people. Why do we regard someone as wise? Why do we regard them as someone that needs to be listened to? What are their traits? He wants us to consider what it is that makes one wise. Look around you. Who is wise and understanding among you? It seems to me that there is some confusion in the church about what true wisdom looks like. And therefore, there is some confusion about who and what we ought to be following. Who and what we ought to be trusting. In the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, our Lord Jesus tells us, well, he warns us that, that there are, are two different paths in front of us. He warns us to enter by the narrow gate. Do you remember that? Amen. Because the narrow gate, the 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 there's a, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. The, the wide gate is, uh, in the easy way, those lead to destruction. So those who enter by that gate, by the wide gate, they are many. Many people go that way because it's easy, and the gate is wide. It's an easy way because there's no, there's no war with the flesh on this way. The gate is wide. It's It's so wide, in fact, that anything goes, anything from atheism to, to transgenderism and everything in between. There's no war on the flesh, there's no assault on your sensualities, and there's no assault, there's no war on your morality. Just like the witch from the tale of Hansel and Gretel, the wide gate It stands and looks at you with a smile, and it beckons you to come, and it promises you pleasure, but it provides destruction. Now, Jesus said, there's another way, guys. So there's another way, and this way leads to life and not destruction, but the way that leads to life is hard, and the gate is narrow, so only a few will find it. He says, don't, don't go with the crowd because they're on the highway. They've got lots of elbow room they can do. It, there's no problem for them. They have to. There's no dying to the flesh for them. There's no challenge for them. And everyone's going that way because it's easy. He said, don't, don't follow the crowd. You, you take the road less taken. You go the hard way. The hard way leads to life. James seems to have the same idea about wisdom. There there is wisdom that is not wise, but it's easy. Requires nothing really of yourself. In fact, it exalts self. But that wisdom leads to destruction. And there is wisdom that is from above. Wisdom that is truly wise, but it is hard. And it leads to life. So look at how James describes wisdom that is not wise. Verse fourteen, back in James chapter three, he uh, he contrasts the wise person with the person who is full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Your your King James probably says envying and or bitter envying and strife. So. Some translation differences, bitter envying and bitter jealousy pretty much mean the same thing in the way that we use words today. You know, words' meanings change over time. But strife and selfish ambition. Now, there's, there's some nuance there. And the, the King James, I think, uses the word strife here in a different way than what we use strife. We use strife to mean conflict. But the, the Greek word that's used is erotheia. And it means a strong drive for personal success without the safeguard of moral inhibitions. So you all know this guy. He will do anything he has to do to get ahead. So it refers to someone who's going to do that. Do, do whatever he has to do and step on whoever he's got to step on in order to secure or ensure his own success. Is that selfish ambition? You bet. Does that kind of thing cause strife? You bet. So if you you think about it, it's almost humorous that James feels the need to tell us that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are not marks of wisdom. He said, this this isn't wisdom, guys. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, that's not wisdom. It's almost funny that he has to tell us that, but but think about it just for a minute. I mean, James is writing almost 2,000 years ago and he's, he's trying to address confusion about who people should look up to and who they should listen to. Because they're listening to the wrong people, looking up to the wrong people. And in the last 2,000 years, has anything fundamentally really changed in the human condition in this regard? <laughs> I mean, look at who we, who we put on a pedestal. Look at who we regard as wise. Look at who we're all listening to. Why does anyone listen or care what Elon Musk has to say? The man's a degenerate. I don't, I don't mean that in a hateful way. I mean, look at his lifestyle. But he's got 40, 50 billion dollars, so well, he must be wise. Who do we put up as models of, of wisdom in our society? The rich, the famous, the powerful. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong about being either of those things, rich, famous, or powerful. Nothing wrong with being a politician. God knows we need good politicians. But I'm I'm painting with a broad brush here, Um, so I know that there are exceptions, but would you say that on the whole that rich and famous and powerful people that our society looks up to and puts up... As, as, uh, as people that are wise and who should be trusted, would you say on the whole that they are characterized by meekness and good works? Or would you say they're more characterized by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy? I mean, that road, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, that road's an easy one. That gate is wide. That wisdom requires no self-sacrifice or humility. It serves the God of self and it worships at the altar of self-interest. I think James is clear, this kind of wisdom is not wise. It does not come from above. In fact, in verse 15, he says that this wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Well, that's a, that's a pretty... That's pretty rough terms there. Demonic. This wisdom is from the devil. And that is why... Or the reason it's demonic is because this wisdom produces disorder in every vile practice. That's why, where there is disorder and vile practice, there is jealousy and selfish ambition. Those things are allowed to run unchecked. So, who is the object of selfish ambition? Who is the object of bitter jealousy? Who benefits from those things? Self. I do. People will reason and they will justify themselves into all kinds of wickedness in order to get something that they want. You ever seen someone do that? They make all kinds of excuses for themselves to get what they want. They know it's wrong, but then they start reasoning their way out of, out of the sin because, and reasoning their way into thinking, why this is right for me, why this is wise for me. That's, that's jealousy and selfish ambition at work there. James paints a very different picture about wisdom that is from above. He says it is that the person who trusts and follows the wisdom from above, the wisdom that comes from God, is known by his wise works or by his good works, his good conduct, his meekness. The thing is that Bitterness and selfish ambition come very naturally for us. One of the interesting things about that warning is that I, I don't know personally, I don't know anyone who actually aspires to be bitterly jealous or selfishly ambitious. Those, I don't know of anyone that wakes up in the morning and, and thinks to himself, man, I, I sure hope that people find me bitterly jealous today. I really need to work on being more bitter and more selfish. I don't know of anyone that aspires to that. I mean, even the unregenerated people seem to want to avoid those kinds of, of labels, right? And yet, they're so natural for us and so easy for us. They're deceptively natural and deceptively easy. I mean, the obviously bitter and jealous, y'all know them, bitter people, people who are jealous of everything, the people who are just ambitious beyond all reason, and, they're, and it's obvious about them, they, they never see their own selfishness. And heaven forbid, they will never admit to their own selfishness outside a miraculous work of grace. They're deceived because this is the easy way. It requires no reliance on God, no denying or dying to self, no hope in Christ to follow that kind of wisdom. And so James paints a very different picture of the wisdom from God. It's known by by good conduct and good works and meekness, which is very much opposite of bitterness and selfish ambition. So in, in just the same way that, that James said, remember back when he was talking about faith and a live faith, he said, you know, you, you show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, you you want to see what a live faith looks like in someone? Just look at what I do. Follow my works. Well, now he says, you want to see someone who has wisdom from above, that's operating in the wisdom that comes from God? Look at his good conduct. Look at his good works and his meekness. How many public figures can you think of that are characterized by, by good conduct and meekness? I think meekness is lacking in a lot of pulpits, especially prominent pulpits. Not a whole lot of it these days. Amen. This way that James talks about is not the easy way. This is the hard way, the way from above. Look at verse 17. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's a pretty exhaustive list there. So he's telling us this is how you recognize wisdom from above. How do we judge true wisdom? He says, First, it is pure. Now, you remember what Jesus said about pure hearts. If you remember back over a year ago, we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wisdom is first pure. And if you recall that, we talked about this. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart. This means a heart of single pursuit. The, The pure pursuit of our heart is Christ. The Bible tells us that everything that we do should be to the glory of God. We exist to make much of Him. Our pure heart means a single pursuit, not divided, not double-minded, but single in our pursuit. We exist to make much of God. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Lord himself said that he made man. He created us for his glory. That's Isaiah 43. So how do you know that wisdom is from above? How do you know it's coming from God? James says, is it first pure? Specifically, does it glorify God? That's what purity does. Does it glorify God? Now, there are are many ways to glorify God. So many ways. So that may look like a number of things when you consider does this glorify God. But it is first and foremost, the question is, does it accomplish that? Does it glorify God? And James says, then then wisdom is peaceable. First pure, then peaceable. Now I, I take that to mean that the wisdom that's from above, wisdom that is wise, it seeks peace. But not at the cost of what is pure not at the cost of what glorifies God. We do not compromise God's glory. We do not compromise purity in order to get along. The first great commandment is to love God with everything you've got. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. God is never subordinate. Christ is all in all. He is preeminent. So with that understanding... The Apostle Paul teaches us in, in Romans 12 18 that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So you ask God for wisdom in your difficult situation. And I promise you, because of the nature of fallen man, there exists a war within you. Paul talks about the war within them in his members. I, I want to do this thing, but I end up not doing it, and, and what I don't want to do, I do. There's a war within you. You ask God for wisdom. Because you're human, a fallen human, you're going to have two different ways to go. At least two. And among them are ways that exalt self and there are ways that glorify God. There are ways that push you further into conflict and there are ways that seek peace. Amen. Amen. James says that wisdom from above... Seeks peace, but not at the cost of purity. Amen. It's first pure, then peaceable. He also says it's gentle and open to reason. I gotta say something about this. I'm not making a political statement at all when I say this, but when you look at, at our former president, Mr. Trump, our current president, Mr. Biden, and how they handle things, do the words gentle and open to reason? come to mind? I only ask that because James asks that. The Bible asks that. Who among you is wise? Who do you look to for wisdom? Are these wise? And I would say according to James, no, certainly not wise with wisdom that comes from above. Because wisdom from above is gentle, it's not overbearing. It's open to reason, which means humility in, in listening. Now, it, it may be that you don't have all the answers. It, it, it may be that you don't see everything clearly. It may be that you've asked God to provide you wisdom, and so He tells you, yeah, you need to listen to that other guy because what he says is right. He may tell, yeah, you're, you're, your thinking's off. You need to be open to reason. It means that we're to be the reasonable kind of people who are willing to listen fairly to opposing views and yield when necessary. Now, that's important, to be willing to yield when necessary. Some people will dig their heels in the ground and they will stand on a lie, come hell or high water, just because they want to be right. They're not willing to yield when presented with the truth. It is not possible to be a peacemaker without being willing to yield. But there again, gentleness and openness don't come at the cost of purity. Amen. He says wisdom is, from above is full of mercy. It looks for ways to show mercy. It's almost as if James has heard the Sermon on the Mount. You know, <laughs> Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What better wisdom is there than to show mercy knowing that if you do that, you will receive mercy. We all need mercy because we're all sinners who deserve judgment. But the wisdom from above honors God and it puts Christ on display in our mercy toward others. It's full of good fruits. This is wisdom that acts. It doesn't just sit under a tree and, and sprout witticisms. It's got feet to it. Good fruits means action. What did Jesus say about your good works? Let your light so shine before man so that they see your good works and glorify God. Look at the goal of the fruit of good works it's that God be glorified. Wisdom is first pure, God be glorified. James says it's impartial. and he, We just came off of this, this text. He, he, he spent a good deal of time talking about the sin of impartiality or of partiality. And wisdom from above will never demand partiality from you. It'll never ask you to treat uh, some better than others based on things like their wealth or their social status. Amen. Now we, we see this, unfortunately and sadly, we see this a lot happening in churches. Church boards and elders and and pastors, they will cater to their biggest givers or the ones who have the most social influence because these people are looking to preserve themselves, not to glorify God. Pastors will compromise the gospel message. They'll compromise doctrinal messages in order to, to keep from offending their big donors. But Jesus said that He's offensive. And what are they doing when they do that? They're relying on selfish ambition. They want to preserve self. It's a stark contrast between wisdom from above and wisdom that is demonic. Amen. Amen. Finally, godly wisdom is sincere. Now, Paul used the same word in Romans 12.9. He said, let love be genuine. That's the same word that James uses here for Sincere. It means that wisdom from above is not duplicitous. It's, it's genuine, without malice or guile. It's not, there's no hidden or selfish motives. An example of, of how you might, might interpret this uh, might be if, if you decided to do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. So let's say you, you might volunteer to help someone out who is in need, but... Your motive for doing it is not love. It's selfish desire to control that person. People do that. They will offer help in order to control. That exalts the self. That is selfish ambition. That is demonic wisdom. Divine wisdom helps and it sacrifices out of love. It appears on the surface the same as it is beneath the surface. And in verse 18, we see that the result of this kind of wisdom produces a harvest of righteousness. In other words, this is the way that leads to life. Not just for you, but it produces a harvest of righteousness. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see that the field is white for harvest. He's talking about all the people who are ready to come. When you you walk in wisdom that is from above, you are a peacemaker to the glory of God. And the Lord promises you a harvest. This brings me back to the warning way back in chapter 1. Trust God for wisdom and trust the wisdom from God. The questions that we're so often faced with because we're fallen beings is, what is the wisdom from God? Which, which way do I go? How do I know this is coming from the Lord? And James gives us several questions we can ask. Litmus test, if you will, to see. Is this wisdom from God? I don't want to be the guy who asks for wisdom and then goes and does whatever self-serving thing I had originally planned. I must be willing and trusting to ask and willing and trusting to receive And do what He says. So is it pure? Does it glorify God? Is it peaceable? Does it seek peace with others? Or does it try to get my own? Is it open to reason and gentle? Is it forgiving, impartial, and sincere? Does Does this wisdom that I think I have from the Lord, does it allow me to sit on my tail and do nothing or does it demand that I get up and do something? If the answer to those questions is, is yes, then you know you are following wisdom from above, wisdom that's actually wise. I would encourage you to go to this passage and write those things down. Write them down. And when you face tough situations, you don't know which way to go, you, I don't know, this way, that way, just go, go through the list and see. How does it fit? If it doesn't fit, it's not, the world, it's not the Lord's wisdom. This is not the easy way because it requires humility and the denying of self, Amen. dying to self. But it is the better way, the better way that produces life, that produces a harvest of righteousness. Let us be people who are regarded as wise with wisdom from above. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the wisdom you have given us in your word. I ask that you help us to receive this. Um, Lord, let let us put aside demonic wisdom. Let us put aside jealousy and selfish ambition. To do that, Lord, I ask you an almost painful prayer, Lord, but it's necessary that you reveal those things within us because the flesh will never admit it. But Lord, the Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. And I pray by your Holy Spirit, you will lead us and guide us into the truth, even truth about ourselves, knowing that we fall short, knowing that, that we are full of, of bitterness and selfish ambition and jealousy Lord, I pray that you give us the grace to see your wisdom and to do it that we might be a light for others in this world, that we might bring glory to your name, that we might reap a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.